About this time every year, our nation decides to honor the fathers. And of course, we fathers really appreciate that, right guys? But you know, instead of just sitting back and accepting the accolades and praise that our wives and our children and others around us are heaping upon us, it's probably a good time for us to sit back and ask, what is all of this about? I'm a father, what's that mean? It means that I'm bringing kids into this world. And when I think about the fact that I am bringing other life into this world, that indicates that I have some responsibility. When I am a father, it means far more than saying my job is to make sure there's food on the table at home. We've brought children to the world and it's our job to take care of them and to raise them up properly. And so we may ask, what is the father's job? And as we consider this question, there is a Bible verse that answers the question for us. We can look in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, God tells us, fathers, our job. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We need to examine this verse. And fathers, I hope we can look at this verse and see what our job is, no matter how old we are, no matter where our kids are in our lives, and examine what our role as fathers really is. Three things we're going to notice from this passage. The very first one is that he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. I believe he has this here because it's so easy, fathers, for us to provoke our children to anger. It is so easy because of our position and authority because of our headship in the home, because of our sheer size over our children, to take advantage of our position. And instead of bringing up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, simply provoke them to anger. But Paul says we're supposed to avoid this. As we consider this, let me point out to you, this does not mean that any time your children have become angry that you violated this passage. This passage doesn't say don't ever let your kids be angry. What it says is, don't provoke them to anger. There are certainly times, fathers, when we are fulfilling our duties accurately and properly, and our children might just plain get angry. They might even say to us at times that they hate us and that they never want to see us again. That doesn't necessarily mean we've done anything wrong. That's just part of being a child. We do need to note, however, that if they do talk like that, that's a specific violation of Ephesians 6 and verse 2 that says to the children, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. And so we can't allow that kind of behavior to just continue on without some type of repercussion. But the Bible does say we're not to provoke our children to anger. We may ask ourselves, well, how do we provoke our kids to anger? Well, it's very simple. We can do it the same way we provoke anyone to anger. And I'd like to share with you about 20 ways you can provoke your kids to anger. And the reasons why you can do them. Number one, lie to them. After all, they're too young to know the difference. Number two, break your promises and your commitments to them. After all, they'll forget. It doesn't matter to them. Number three, never apologize. When you've done wrong, never ask for forgiveness and tell them that you've done wrong and, and apologize to them. 
After all, they're kids. They're so small. Why should a big man like you ever bow down to their level and apologize for what you've done wrong? Number four, always expect too much of them. After all, they ought to be able to do what you can do, right? Or number five, always expect too little of them. After all, they're only kids. They're so small. And it might damage their self-esteem and their psyche if you ever expected them to grow and do more than they can do right now. Number six, don't make your expectations clear, but then punish them anyway. Certainly, they're your kids. They came from you. They ought to be able to read your mind and know exactly what you meant, even if you didn't say it. Expect them to mess everything up. And let them know that you expect to mess everything up. After all, they're kids and they have messed things up in the past, haven't they? Number eight, when they actually do something right, don't praise them for that. Instead, just say to them, well, it's about time you did something right. I mean, after all, it is about time, isn't it? Number nine, never correct them. Never tell them how they ought to live. It makes our children happy to get out on their own and find out that the way they act has ruined their lives and the lives of those around them. Number ten, yell at them a lot. And especially do this in front of their friends. Especially do it in front of their friends. Say bad things about them. After all, kids are very resilient, and they'll probably forget it by the time they're older anyway. Number 11, as you yell at them in front of their friends, remind, whoops, getting out of order, never follow through on threats unless you're really mad. It's important to your kids to know that what you say to them doesn't matter unless your face is red and that little vein is popping out on the side of your head. Number 12, vent your frustration and your embarrassment. At them. Don't discipline them for their good. Do it as a relief for your emotions. After all, if you're not frustrated and angry at them, what's the point in disciplining them anyway? Number 13, be inconsistent. Especially when it comes to discipline. Your kids like taking risks and they like to know that maybe they can get away with it this time. Never let them know where they stand with you. Always keep them at an arm's length so that they're always guessing and wondering whether or not you're going to blow up this time. After all, your kids like guessing games. Constantly tell them how immature, childlike, ignorant, stupid, and worthless they are. Kids are amazingly resilient. They'll probably outgrow it. Aside from that, they'll enjoy the challenge of trying to prove you wrong as they grow up. Number 16. Don't forgive them. When you discipline them and they've repented and they've apologized, don't forgive them. Continue to be mad at them and constantly remind them of all the things that they've done wrong. After all, when you send them their birthday cards and tell them you love them, it'll be that much more meaningful. Never explain how life works. Just don't tell them the realities of life. They'll appreciate that when they finally grow up and get out on their own and they go to work and find out that their boss does not care about their self-esteem. He wants them to be there on time, will not do their job for them behind their back, and expects them to earn the money that he gives them by working for it. Number 18, don't spend time with them. 
In fact, what you need to do is spend your time working so you can have money and provide them with all kinds of things. After all, your children are well aware that you want all those things you didn't get to have when you were a kid. I'm sorry, that you want them to have all those things that you didn't get to have when you were a kid. Aside from that, when you die, they won't care anything about their loss from you. They'll just want to know who gets the house. Number 19, don't teach them how to work. Don't teach them how to take care of their finances. It'll make them feel responsible and mature and successful when they're old and they have to come to you to support their kids because they don't know how. And finally, number 20, fathers, if you really want to provoke your children to anger, all you have to do is treat their mother like dirt. Because children enjoy seeing expressions of strength, power, and authority. And they really love to see the woman that is most dear to them in their lives being abused. It's really very simple, if you really want to, to provoke your children to anger. I'm sure this is not an exhaustive list, but all too often some of these things are the things we find in our homes. And then we come together and say, well, exactly how do I do this provoking my kids to anger thing? We go back to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, and we find the second thing that we're told about fathers and our jobs. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, he said, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up. One of the very regrettable facts about modern fatherhood is that the great majority of fathers never take consideration as to what is the goal of this job. What is the point behind what I am doing here? Fathers, we need to understand that there is a point. There is a goal. The goal is not just to make it through another day without killing the kids. The goal is not to provide them with all the things we didn't have when we were kids. The goal is not to make sure they have the happiest and most entertaining and pleasurable childhood. Our goal as fathers is to bring our children up. The word translated bring them up is the Greek word ektrepo. And what it means is to nourish up to maturity. To provide the needs that our children have in order to bring them up to maturity. That's our goal. Our goal is not to let our children remain children. Our goal is to get our children to grow up and become mature. And I understand that maturity is a lifelong process. We continue to become mature as we grow. But when our children leave our home, they should no longer be children. They should be adults. Because that's our job. Brought up to maturity. That's what we're supposed to be doing. The second regrettable fact about modern fatherhood is that when fathers look at their job that they're doing as fathers and try to measure the success of whether or not they're doing a good job at fatherhood, Rarely do we ever look at how mature our children are becoming. Typically, we want to look at how happy they are at any given moment. That's not the goal. That's not the measure for success. Regrettably, most parents, that's what they think about. 
how happy are my kids right now. I want them always to be happy. I don't ever want them to cry. I don't ever want them to be upset. I always want to make sure my kids are happy and they're always saying nice things about me. And so parents are lavishing all kinds of pleasures and entertainments on their children. And we have a generation of young people that do not know how to be responsible. They are not mature. They're continuing to live in childhood. Our job is not to make sure that our kids are happy. Our job is to make sure that our kids are growing up to maturity. Now, do not misunderstand. I'm not trying to point out to you that your job is to make sure your kids have a miserable life. I'm not saying that at all. What I am pointing out, however, fathers, is that happiness in any given moment will not produce the goal. When we look at the Scriptures, we find out that there's actually a very interesting paradox. That true happiness, lasting contentment, does not come from moments of pleasure and entertainment. They come from learning to be responsible and doing the right thing. But amazingly, doing the right thing at the moment may not always bring happiness and pleasure. Consider, for example, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 11. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 11, the Bible says in Hebrews 12:11, "All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness." Anyone here ever been disciplined as a child? Okay, yeah. When that happened, were you extremely excited about that? I mean, when that got done, did you just look at your dad or your mom and just gushing with happiness say, oh, I'm so thankful, that is so awesome, I'm just really glad you just beat me. Any of you ever say that? Of course not. But I don't know how many adults, and I've been there, look back on their childhood and say, I am so glad that my parents disciplined me. I'm so glad that my parents reined me in and did not allow me to just go off in my own foolishness. Because I am where I am now because my parents weren't concerned if I was happy every moment, but they were concerned that I grew up to maturity. And sometimes they meant they disciplined me. And in the moment, it wasn't joyful, and it wasn't joyful for them either. Although I must admit, I heard the lie as a kid when my dad said, now this will hurt me more than it hurts you. Now kids, I know that's a lie. Just tell your parents there's no way. Because I've been on both ends of it. And frankly, I prefer my end now to the end I used to get of that belt earlier. Wasn't, but it's not joyful even for the parents. I, I, I just, if you say it hurts you more, I don't know, maybe you're different than me. But it's still not joyful. Not in the moment. But how many parents who at times, when without joy, not because of happiness, you had to discipline your kids, can now look at your children and see the maturity and the responsibility and the wisdom that they have. And you can say, I am so glad I did that. See, that's the point that we're making here. Happiness at the moment is not the goal. Making sure that at all points in their childhood lives, they can say, oh, I just love my mom and dad. They're awesome. They're wonderful. They're my best friend. Is not the goal. The goal is to bring them up to maturity. And what that means is sometimes they're not going to be happy. And we're not going to be happy because there are going to be a lot of moments when we have to do things that aren't joyful. But when we do those things in the long run, that's when we have happiness. 
We've got to teach our children and bring them up to maturity, to responsibility. Allow me to ask you this. Have you ever once heard anyone compliment a child by saying to them, Wow, you are so amazing. You don't even act your age. Have you ever heard that? No, of course not. Those are the kids that you hear people talk about. I wish they'd grow up. They don't even act their age. But how many times have you heard people compliment and even children saying, you know what, you, you're beyond your years. You ever hear that compliment? See, we view that as a compliment. Because that's what maturity is all about. And that's our goal. Bringing them up to maturity. Pushing them. Causing them to be beyond what they are now. To grow. To excel. But the third thing we need to consider regarding this aspect of fatherhood is that bringing our children up to maturity, notice that it, at the end there, it talks about in the Lord or of the Lord. This is not just making sure that your children come up to physical maturity. The fact is, fathers, it doesn't take much help from us to make sure our kids are going to grow physically. We can go get a job and make sure food's on the table and in 18 years they're going to grow up, assuming something tragic doesn't happen. But we're talking about bringing them up in the maturity of the Lord. And as you look at those kids, your job is not just to make sure food's on the table to make them grow up physically. You're to help them mature physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. But how do we do that? How do we do that? The sad part about it is in modern fatherhood is most fathers are advocating their role. Sure, they'll put the food on the table, but that's the easiest job. What do we do? We bring our kids up to maturity mentally. We send them off to school. Emotionally, they'll come to maturity by the experiences of life. And spiritually, they'll come to maturity. Well, that's why we take them to church. Here's the thing that we need to understand, fathers. Is that no doubt our government, and no doubt life's experiences, and no doubt the church will help us and bringing our children up to maturity. But none of them are going to stand before God in judgment about the way your kids were raised. We fathers are going to stand before God in judgment about how our kids were raised. And we need to be able to say that we work to bring them up in the Lord. We didn't leave that to the church. We didn't leave that to the government. We didn't leave that to their peers. We did it. That doesn't mean that our kids will always turn out the way we want them to. But when we stand before God in judgment, if our children are lost fathers, we better be able to say to the Lord that it's in spite of us and not because of us. And if they're saying, we better be able to say to the Lord that it's because of us and not in spite of us. The third key from Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4 that we find here is he says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The discipline and instruction. As we study this passage, we have a little bit of a difficulty because most of the modern English translations use words that are interchangeable. Discipline, instruction, nurture and admonition, I think some of them say. Uh, nurture and teaching and training. All these kinds of words that we can use interchangeably at some time in the English language. Interestingly, when you go back to the original languages, you'll find the words that are used are also somewhat interchangeable. However, according to Vines and Zediades and their respective dictionaries, they point out that the two different words, one for discipline, which is the Greek word pedia, one for instruction, the Greek word nathesia, the first one for discipline means 
training by action. The second one means training by word. Here's the key. If we're going to bring up our children in the Lord, we've got to have both. We have to have action and we have to have word to train them up. What are some ways that we can train them up by action? Well, of course, the first that comes to our mind is almost always the first, and perhaps it's regrettable that it's the first, but we can look at Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5, says, And you have forgotten, Hebrews 12, 5, You have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by Him. For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines, and He scourges every son whom He receives. We've got... The, what we often call discipline, the rod. And here it is connected. God scourges. He uses the rod. He whips those, you might say. He disciplines them. And there is certainly an action that we take to bring up our children in the discipline of the Lord. As you consider this, though, allow me to give you some advice for how to use the rod. How do we use the rod? Use it to bring them up to maturity, not to vent your frustration and your anger and your embarrassment. Use it consistently, not sporadically. Use it quickly, not after a lot of counting and yelling hasn't gotten the job done. Use it thinking about the future, not thinking about the moment. And when you're done using it, make sure your children know why you used it and make sure you reaffirm your love to them. Now, please do not mistake that for the gushing over children that parents often do to try to win back their love after you've disciplined them. We don't need any of that. But you do need to reaffirm that you love them. They need to know that even though they did wrong, you still love them. But we need to use the rod. When we consider ways to train, to discipline by action, We can think of actual training. Think about this. Every year when somebody is playing football, they're playing baseball, and they're in the major leagues, where do they go before the season starts? Don't they go to training? And what do they do while they're there? They listen. They get spanked all the time. They have the rod used on them all the time. They listen to a lot of lectures all the time. No, what are they? they're going through drills. They're being trained. And they have to go through exercises and practices so that, so that when they get on the field and they're actually in the game, it's drilled into their body how they're supposed to behave and how they're supposed to act, right? Were you aware that you can do that same thing with your kids? You can practice obedience with them. You can train them. You take a child that is old enough to walk and that child is old enough to learn to answer you when you say, come here and to come to you. Absolutely the case. Here's all you got to do. You just have to train them. They're sitting there. They're playing. You say, come here. What are they going to do? They're going to sit there and keep playing. So what do you do? You go over, you swat them, and you show them how they're supposed to behave. You explain it to them. You send them back. What do you do a few minutes later? You say, come here. What are they going to do? They're going to look at you. Then they're going to go back to playing. What do you do? You go over, you swat them. You show them how they're supposed to behave. They come here. You take them back. A few minutes later, you tell him to come here. What's going to happen? Well, if it's a kid that learns quickly, he's going to come here. If not, you'll have to go through this a couple more times. 
But let me tell you why this is important. Have you ever had a time when your child was running to the street and you couldn't get to them? If you've trained them to turn around and come to you when you say, come here, you won't have to break your neck trying to get to them. They'll come. You can train them. This is an example of how we can train them by action, how we discipline them. Another one. Let them face the natural consequences of their actions. Quit trying to cover up for them and quit trying to hide them from the realities of the world. If they break something, make them fix it or pay for it, even if it comes out of their precious allowance or from a job that they do. Make them earn the money and work for it. If they misuse a toy, take it away from them. Maybe temporarily, maybe permanently. Let them face the natural consequences of their actions. That's what wisdom does. In Proverbs chapter 1, if we want to be wise parents, we will follow in the footsteps of wisdom. In Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 24, Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 24, wisdom says to her children, because I called and you refused, I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention, and you neglected all my counsel and did not want my reproof, I will also laugh at your calamity. I'll mock when your dread comes. When your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they'll call on me, but I will not answer. Then they'll seek me diligently, but they will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. What's wisdom saying? I've tried teaching them. I've tried telling them. They didn't live by it, and now they have to face the consequences of their actions. That's exactly what we have to do with our children. Teach them that there are consequences. When they misbehave in school, let them face the consequences. Don't, don't go jump on the teacher or on the principal. When they don't study, let them fail the class. Don't go try to get the teacher to push them on through. Let them face the natural consequences of their actions so that they can learn responsibility. There are all kinds of ways that we can train them by action, by example, so many things. But we also need to train them with words. How can we train them with words? Well, we train them with words. We instruct them by simply doing that, by just teaching them, by sitting down at times and just telling them, here's the way it is, teaching them about life, teaching them about God and the Word of God. If you look in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 7, we've got a great model for how we as fathers can teach our children. In Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 7, the Scripture says there, talking under the Old Covenant, you shall teach them diligently to your sons, you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, excuse me, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Here's a great model. Teach them diligently to your son. Talk of them when you sit in your house. Make sure you're having meals together and you spend time together at home so that you can talk to your kids. When you walk, by the way, most of us don't walk anywhere, but we drive, turn the radio off at least a couple times and spend some time talking and teaching your kids. When you lie down, when you're putting them to bed at night, fathers, that's one of the best times. Be at home. Pray with them. Talk with them. Teach them. When you rise up, when they get up in the morning, teach them about God and His Word and about growing up and about manhood and womanhood. All these things. Bind it as a sign on, the, on your hands and on your forehead. It needs to be something that they see as a part of your life, the most important thing. You can just teach them. Another good thing is illustrated by Jesus. How many times throughout the Gospels do we read Jesus telling parables? 
He was telling a story. He was teaching folks by telling stories. You can teach your kids by telling stories. Tell them Bible stories. Tell them stories about you as a child. Tell them stories about their grandparents. Tell them stories about historical figures that teach great godly lessons of responsibility and maturity. Tell them stories that you made up using them as characters that teach these lessons. But you can tell your kids stories and they will learn from that. That's training, instruction with words. By reproof and rebuke. And there are times when you need to reprove your children. That is, exposing their error. And rebuke them for their error. Certainly as you do that, reaffirm your love. Let them know that you're not telling them you don't love them. You're just telling them what they did was wrong and they need to stop doing it. And they need to start what's doing, what they're doing. And they need to start doing right. But here's one that's really important. We're all pretty good at catching our kids doing things wrong, aren't we? But another way to teach our children by word is by catching them doing things right. And to praise them for it. And to encourage them for it. And also catching them doing things almost right. But doing better than they were doing before. Praise them for their improvement. And they will try to continue to improve. If you keep rebuking them just because they're not doing it all the way right, they'll quit even trying to improve. So praise them. Encourage them. We need to bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord, training them by action and by word. Fathers, what's our job? Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's our job. Let's work at doing our job. And mothers, we need your help. We're not very good at it. And we need help and we need support. Our job is to bring these kids up. Not just try to make it through another day, but to have a goal that we're working toward every day bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Can we work on that, fathers? Certainly. Good. Good, good, good. Some of you fathers who've already done it, we fathers who are still working through it, we need your help and your guidance and your example as well. And some will certainly say, oh, but have you seen my kids? My kids turned out awful. Well, I really, you know, I haven't been here long enough to know whose kids turned out good and whose kids turned out awful, so I can't make any judgments about you individually. But I tell you what I have learned over the years is that sometimes the folks whose kids turned out awful can be just as much help as the ones who turned out good, because they've learned all the things not to do. And if you see me doing something that I ought not to do, I'd like to hear about it. I may not always agree. It's my final choice. But we need to be helping one another. Bring these children up to maturity in the Lord. Would you pull out your songbooks, please?